Good morning, everyone. Please turn to number 315, The Solid Rock. worship this morning is Psalm 27, verses 9 through 14. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. Uh, That's what Advent is all about. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Let's uh, continue worshiping with a song on that theme. Number 187, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Solid. 
Let us pray. Lord God, we've gathered here this morning to worship you. And as always, Jesus is the focus of our worship, the one who came the first time to bring salvation and the one who will come the second time to judge and to give all who live by faith in him the new heavens and the new earth and eternally to be in your presence. It is indeed what we are looking forward to. So we ask that as we worship you this morning, you will work in us by your spirit in the liturgy, in the prayers, uh, in the readings, and through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. And now uh, take your bulletin inserts and together we will pray this prayer of confession. You have asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them for the work was hard. You ask for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you only a whisper that we might not be accused. You ask for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We close them for we did not want to see. You ask for our lives that you might work through us. We gave a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive all our calculated efforts to serve you. Only when it is convenient to do so. Only in those places where it is safe to do so. And only with those who make it easy for us to do so. Father, forgive us, renew us, and send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. And we have this assurance from the Apostle John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and for the February 2020 Vestry Voices, I wrote an article about the divine hours. It's 365 days of prayers to be prayed in the morning, at noontime, in the evening, and before bed. And I just looked up the author, Phyllis Tickle, before we began our worship this morning, And this goes all the way back to the early church, the church fathers, where they took seriously Psalm 119 seven times a day. Well, I praise thee and and pray to you. And the early church had seven hours. We now are down to the four. And um, I wanted to just read what came this morning. She puts a comment in here, and she has studied the history of prayer in the church and the special days of the church calendar. 
during Advent, which we start today, the church celebrates the messianic works of the Hebrew prophets, especially that of the prophet Isaiah. Advent emphasizes as well the promise of the second coming of the Messiah in kingly triumph. That's what everybody wanted the first time, but God had a different plan in mind. And I've decided that this year we're all going to be readers for the Advent candle. So for the next two weeks, I've already selected a scripture passage pertaining to Advent. And I hadn't even read this last week. And it turns out our first two are from Isaiah of all books. So if you'll take your bulletin insert, we'll get ready to light the first candle of faith and hope. This is from Isaiah 46. Remember this and consider. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Call on the bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have heard and I will do it. Hearken to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from deliverance. So God has already brought salvation in Jesus Christ in his first coming. And we have this gift of faith, and it is through this faith we have hope. We have hope no matter what's happening, and we'll get that more from our sermon passages and the message. But right now, we will light the um, candle of Faith and hope. There. So now we'll continue to worship the Lord in song. Um, We'll sing about the king and his return. So number 234, all glory, laud, and honor. And 282, rejoice, the Lord is king. Yeah. 
Until now, I never thought of that as an Advent hymn, but it's all about his second coming. And now we will have the reading of our scripture for this morning. Scriptures this morning is from Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3, and Matthew 26. This is Habakkuk chapter 1, 1 through 7. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, How long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. This is chapter 2, 1 through 4. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, 
write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just just shall live by his faith. And this is chapter 3, 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singer of my stringed instrument. And this is Matthew 26, 36 through 38. Then came it Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. Amen. Well, let us now pray. Three in one God, thank you for your gracious gift of faith, which gives us hope in a world that is still existing under the influence of the evil one. And thank you that Jesus came the first time to offer himself as one of us on our behalf, that we may first be made righteous in him by faith, so we would not be judged and thrown into the eternal fire when he comes the second time to judge. But rather now, we can wait in faith doing the good works of your kingdom that he has given us to do to prepare for the blessing of his second coming when we will be granted to serve him forever in the new heavens and earth. (sighs) Wow. May we always be amazed at your indescribably gracious gift to us in him. And please continue to fill us and all our brothers and sisters around the globe with the Holy Spirit in order that we may know and do your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Also, please prepare many hearts to be drawn to you Through Jesus. We are concerned that so many people are acting in ways contrary to those that you gave to people, first through Moses and now through Jesus. Please give us compassion and wisdom towards them for their sake. And please help us to usher in the day when justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We pray for our president, Congress, and the Supreme Court, and for our governor, state legislature, and state and local courts. We pray for civil servants, police, fire, EMT. We pray for both leaders and workers 
in every segment of our society, education, finance, high-tech, industry, healthcare, small businesses, everywhere. We pray for our church family. We pray for Norma and her family, Joe and his family, Allie and her family, Ginny, Peter, Linda, Billy, Norgy, their mother, Gino, Ken, Curtin, Dory, Jimmy and Sally, Christine. And Father, we thank you that you know the needs of every heart and that you are more than ready to ask. In fact, I think there's a prophecy that says even before we ask, you know what's in our heart. And we pray also that you would speak to us through your word and work in us that which is pleasing to you. Please guide me as I speak that I may explain, interpret, and apply your word correctly. We know that in the end, only you can change us by your word. And please start by changing me. And Father, now we come to you with one voice and one heart, praying the words that our Lord and Savior Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we will sing a, a, a song, a hymn that I really, really love. It took me years to understand it. 453, it is well with my soul. And all the first verse is saying is whether we get blessed or whether we experience troubles when we know Jesus, it is always, always well with our soul. 453. See you. 
of the church of Jesus between his first and second comings or advents. It has been called the time of the now and not yet. Every week we center ourselves on what Jesus accomplished in his first coming to earth. In his first advent, Jesus said he did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, in his second advent, it will change. He will judge all who did not live by his faith on earth. Now, in his first advent, many people didn't get this. They were looking for the wicked to be judged and the Romans to be overthrown. So they did not receive Jesus because he didn't fit their expectations. He was not the kind of king they were looking for. So as we wait for his second advent, we will look back on his first advent to prepare ourselves so we'll be ready when he comes. We will be surprised, but we, as he said, always watch and be ready. Now, human nature is powerless to reform itself. It's been proven over and over again throughout history. So this means we are still facing the same problems and character issues that people faced 2,000 years ago. However, we are blessed to live after God came to earth as one of us to not only tell us about God's powerful love, but to show us God's powerful love. So today we heard highlights from Habakkuk's short prophecy which warns that disobedience of God's ways will lead to extreme punishment. But the one living by faith, for that one, it is possible not only to persevere in extreme famine, but to rejoice in it. And the gospel reading that we heard from Matthew, one of the 12, motivates us to take hope that even Jesus was deeply sorrowful before he went through the death that leads to life. So let's look more closely at all of this. First, with the prophet Habakkuk, and I have to confess he might be my favorite because it's such a short outline. You can at least memorize the orders and everything. So verse 1 is actually the title of the book, The Burden Which Habakkuk the Prophet Saw. 
And as I was meditating on this, I realized that Habakkuk is one of, but different from. Well, we need to understand this word burden, and I've never understood it. I've even heard it preached on and taught before until I really started digging in and looking at a theological word dictionary this week. A burden is a threatening warning word that God chooses a man to speak to people so that they will change. Change is necessary. Now, the prophet is both of the people. He's a peer, but he's for God. That's the important difference. He's chosen. He's different from the people, therefore, in this way. And his soul becomes burdened over the consequences of their disobedience. So it's a hard thing to be called by God to speak a prophetic word because we don't have the power to make people change. And and it's a burden on anyone who's given a prophetic word to have to pronounce these harsh words. So now we get into what Habakkuk says to God because of the circumstances. How long, Yahweh, have I cried for help and you will not hear? And how long will I call to help concerning violence and you will not save? How long? I remember being in a Bible study in the 1990s when I was still working in the insurance business. And and our teaching pastor told us that how long? It's all throughout scripture. And I did a brief search on the Psalms. And looking at all the how longs, there's at least a dozen times directly to the prophet, uh, to God, the writer is saying, how long, oh God? Sometimes it will be just a general complaint, but God is specifically addressed at least a dozen times, three times in Psalm 13. Psalm 6 might be the best. So you see, Habakkuk is given, given this burden. And let me put you into the time frame. We went through Chronicles all the way up to the exile and then beyond to the returning community. It's about halfway through the 23 years after the last good king Josiah died and they actually went into exile. So the exile is imminent. The punishment is imminent. And what's happening is immorality and idolatry and violence are rampant. And the prophet is longing, longing for righteousness within Judah. He continues, why did you make me see iniquity and trouble and look at ruin and violence? There has been strife and contention will be rising up. Why iniquity? This is the age-old question, people. I, I have studied some history, and we always want to understand why is there evil in this world? And then he says, therefore... The Torah will be numb. And justice will never go out because the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice goes out perverted. No justice. What's happening? God's instruction or Torah has no effect on wicked people who are perverting justice and intimidating this small righteous remnant. So ends the prophets plea to God. And now we get the response of Yahweh, the covenant God. See among the nations and look, astonish yourselves and be astonished because a work is working in your days that you will not Believe when it will be recounted. So basically, he's saying, look and be astonished. And and 
This is convicting to me because I feel like lately I've been taking God too much for granted. Now, Yahweh is addressing all of his people, all of them, with these commands and with these predictions. He says, what they see will astonish them because it will be unbelievable. We are astonished now at God and all he has done in Jesus. And as I write these words, I say to myself, at least we should be astonished. And then God continues, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and being hastened nation, going to the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Raising up Babylon, uh, I did a little searching and I found that Chaldea was part of the larger Babylonian empire, but it was significant. Many of the kings came from there, including Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Chaldean. He was the one that would sack Jerusalem. And then he concludes what we heard this morning. There's more in the chapter, but he says, they are terribly dreaded, and from them goes forth their own judgment and their own dignity. See, they're proud. These are self-made people. And in their pride, they will not acknowledge anyone to be above them. But they put dreadful fear into those they conquer. Now we'll skip ahead to chapter 2 and what we heard there. Habakkuk stands after his reproof of Yahweh and receives a guaranteed vision concerning the proud and the righteous. Now, I had to really look through this, and there's lots of ways to translate this. But basically, in verse 1, he's saying, I will stand on my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will watch closely to see what he will say to me and what I will return in answer to him concerning my reproof. And I think what he's saying here is he knows he was laying a heavy accusation on God. We'll get to it in a minute. He had strongly protested, and if you read chapter 1, the final paragraph that Yahweh should not punish his people with an evil nation. What are you doing? You're too good to use evil to punish your people. And now after he has done this and he's wondering if he's overstepped his bonds, bounds, the prophet is now standing his ground for the covenant God's response to him. So he waits. We don't know how much time passed. Then Yahweh answered Write a vision. Make it plain on the tablets. So someone will be running, running everywhere and reading it. So the first thing he's commanded to do is write this vision he receives. And it will be carried. Someone will carry it and many will read it. We've gotten to read it. Continuing for still The vision is for the appointed time, and it shall hasten all the way to the end, and it will be breathed out to the end, and it will not lie. And if it lingers, wait, wait for it, because it will surely come and then not delay. Appointed time. God has an appointed time for everything. That Solomon said that in a song that, um, you know, the birds made a lot of money for singing it. Pete Seeger updated it. Also, I don't have it in your outline, but I realized um, this morning, Galatians chapter 4, God said, when the time had fully come, he sent forth his son to save us. 
So it will happen in its appointed time. But Habakkuk is commanded to wait in hopeful expectation. And people, this is the same word, the same way as Habakkuk was commanded that we must actively wait for the second coming of Jesus. That's what I love about the prophets. What they said so many years ago still applies to us today. And in his second advent, Jesus will make everything right. So again, for the first week of Advent, our hope is Jesus coming again to judge. And then God says, he assures his prophet, the vision is certain, it will surely come, just as Jesus will surely come at the right time when he's ready. And then in a verse that is at least three times quoted in the New Testament, in the letters of the New Testament, behold, his soul, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, is swollen and it's not upright. So there's the answer. I'm going to use them even despite this. And also, a righteous man will live by his faith, by his faith. So Babylon and its king Nebuchadnezzar, they've been swelled up in their unrighteousness. But one who lives a righteous life in the midst of violence, which is what this letter has been about to this point, does it through faith. He does it through faith in the covenant God. We aren't righteous in our own selves. We can't reform ourselves. I already said that. But God can. And we need to believe it. And we need to live by it. In the midst of violence, people. And it's everywhere. It's always been everywhere. Faithfulness gives life. And now we go to the third chapter, the conclusion of this book, Even in devastating famine, the prophet will rejoice in the God of his salvation. He says, and again, there's all these poetic phrases and half lines. Though a fig tree will not blossom, nor produce in the vines, the work of the olive has failed. The fields have not made food. The sheep have been cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. As I really thought about it, people, this is a six-fold famine. Okay. There's widespread famine in the land because three fruit-bearing plants and trees, they failed. Grains do not grow from the earth. Sheep and cattle are gone. The six most common sources of food cannot be found anywhere. But the prophet continues, and I will rejoice in Yahweh and be glad in the God of my salvation. Now, Habakkuk's concluding prayer, and you can read the whole chapter, um, it covers ground like a meandering stream that winds its way through a flatland. He begins in one of my favorite pleas and prayers by requesting that in his wrath against his wicked People, Yahweh will remember compassion. We deserve judgment, but we need compassion. And that's what Jesus brought the first time. And now he concludes by saying that even in extreme famine, he will rejoice in God's person, who God is, and in his presence with him, the greatest promise God will always be with us. 
And he will rejoice in the salvation of Habakkuk. So God is doing a work in his prophet in spite of the burden. And then he concludes, Yahweh is the Lord of my strength. And he has made my feet as a deer's. And on high places, he has made me go. I thought about this. Here is a triply blessed life, people. Because of the covenant God, who is Lord of all he has made, with violence rampant under a wicked king and with no food to be found, Habakkuk still has the faith in him to declare his life has been blessed with strength and swiftness, and he's been set on a path in the heights nearer to God. People, may we rejoice even in extreme famine and violence to experience this triply blessed life in Christ, in the midst of violence, faithfulness gives life. May we have faith to give us hope. And now, in the gospel passage, we heard Jesus experience sorrow as he prepares to pray before going to the cross. So we're told as Jesus comes to Gethsemane, he commands his disciples to sit while he goes to pray. So let's go through it phrase by phrase. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which in English is oil press. It's where olives were pressed. And what a fitting name Because that very afternoon, Jesus will have the air pressed out of his lungs as he hangs on a cross and he sags and the lungs get forced all the air out of it. And people who were crucified, they suffocated. The very life was pressed out of him as he hung on a cross for three hours. And he's saying to his disciples, you all sit here. While I having gone there, I may be praying. So he gives a command first that they will just sit where they are. Now he has come here with the express purpose of praying to his father because of his approaching death. And he wants his disciples to be near him. He is showing human vulnerability here. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to be vulnerable and to admit it. And then after taking three with him, he begins to be sorrowful and distressed to death. And then he commands them to be watching with him. So we're told after taking Peter, which literally means a stone, as opposed to a big rock, it's a stone you can throw. And the two sons of Zebedee, Zebedee means my gift, James and John. Now on occasion, Jesus had only three of his disciples with him. You could call them an inner circle. And it would be reasonable to say he chose them for special training. So let's take them in order. Peter. After Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, the message he proclaimed resulted in 3,000 lives being added to the church, the beginning of Acts. Going towards the middle of Acts, we're told that James was the first follower of Jesus to be killed for his faith and for his proclamation of who Jesus is. And then finally, John. He received an apocalyptic vision in his 90s of the panoramic future of the church after the new heavens and the new earth 
which Jesus will establish with his second coming, what we're all looking forward to. But then we're told he became sorrowful and distressed. This is a narration about what he was experiencing. Now, his sorrow may have been over the sins of humanity, and his distress may have been because he now fully recognizes the agony he would endure on the cross. As he died in the place of all sinners who would submit to being humbled in the faith of him. Humble faith is what we need and what Jesus provided. And now he speaks. And he's saying to them, very sorrowful is my soul, even unto death. So in his humanity, Jesus is sharing his extreme sorrow, which he is experiencing as he realizes it is now time to lay down his life in death for both them and all people. And then the last word we heard was he said, you all must wait here and you must be watching with me. Wait and watch. He commands them to both wait for him and watch with him as he talks to his father about the completion of his mission on his first coming or advent to earth. Now, we know the whole story. It's 2,000 years later, and we're not even really surprised by it sometimes. But the good news is after Jesus' death, he rose to life. And he made it possible for any person to be dead to sin and living to God in Christ Jesus. For all people who are living in humble, obedient faith of Christ, death to sin in him, as we get on the cross with him, leads to life in him. You see, death always precedes life. God knew that. Jesus knew that. We need to know that. To live, we must die. Die to sin. And God's saving grace has been revealed to all, training to righteousness while waiting for the blessed hope of his appearing. That's my paraphrase of Titus 2. You see, in the midst of violence, and it's all around us, it's always been there, it will be until he comes back. Faithfulness gives life. So let me wrap this up. When God's people live contrary to his ways, his punishment of them may be extreme, but even in his punishment, he gives faith and life. And even in famine, his people will rejoice in his salvation. And Jesus, who died in our place, by his resurrection made possible the giving of faith and life to people in order to await his return in active hope. We've got a mission too. We cooperate with Jesus. But remember this, even in the midst of violence, faithfulness gives life. So that's our hope as we start the Advent season. Let us sing for our final song, this reminder, and it could be at any time, number 567, Jesus is coming again.
Now, this is from uh, the last book of the Bible. I already mentioned how John was chosen to receive this vision of what is yet to come. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, if we have to stand on our own, we're thrown into the lake of fire, we're condemned. But if we stand in the faith of Jesus, we get to enjoy him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So let's be ready. Is my name written in the book of life by the faith of Jesus Christ? I hope and pray so. May it be true. And let's sing for our final song, The greatest thing, number 106, to know, love, and serve God. Mm -hmm. 